Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to the Finance Hour. Whether you're listening live on Jair or indeed on our podcast, this is the show where we help you make sense of the world of business and finance, and with a bit of luck, help you make better decisions uh, for your financial future and well-being. My name's Ruben Zelwa. I'm the Principal and Financial Planner at Adapt Wealth Management. Uh, we're a boutique firm based in Malvern East, uh, which help business owners, executives and people uh, who are planning for retirement uh, with all sorts of advice, but with a specialty in superannuation and investment management. I welcome you to uh, look at or listen to any of my other podcasts. Uh, Just search us up on iTunes or you can go to my website at adaptwealth.com.au There's even a sign-up button there if you want to get uh, a summary of the best 10 podcasts of 2017 on the off chance that you haven't listened to them all. But if you you do want to listen to others, just go to iTunes, and I'd also appreciate if you'd leave me a review there as well. That would be fantastic. It would mean that we could definitely reach more people. Now, just a general disclaimer, uh, nothing that I say today or guests that I interview Uh, You you should take as personal advice. It's only general advice. It may not be relevant for your circumstances. The world of super and tax is quite complex. So before you act on anything, uh, get some professional advice from a planner, an accountant, a lawyer, or otherwise educate yourself really well so that you don't make any mistakes. Okay, the topic of this week's show is Who Moved My Cheese? Uh, following on from my discussion last week about Labor's proposal around tax credits, uh, particularly for self-managed super funds, that you won't be able to get them refunded anymore. I've had a lot of inquiries uh, from clients, uh, just from chatting with people who really want to know a bit more about the rules. Uh, There's certainly quite a lot of unrest about it. Uh, The reason why I call this show Who Moved My Cheese is because we're obviously dealing with with changing circumstances, and that was a "Who Moved My Cheese" was a famous book uh, written by uh, Ken Blanchard and Spencer Johnson. It's uh, I think it was done in the late 80s, and it really was about dealing with change in work and your life. And this is a pretty big change for retirees or people with self-managed super funds. So we want to discuss how we can navigate that change. Obviously, there's uncertainty at the moment. But uh, today's guest uh, should be able to shed some light for us. Uh, We've gone straight to the top. We're interviewing John Maroney, who is the CEO of the Self-Managed Superfund Association, uh, which is the independent professional body representing self-managed superannuation funds. And I'll put a disclaimer, I am actually a professional member of that uh, that organisation as well. Helps me keep me up to date in terms of advising on self-managed super funds, which a lot of my clients have. So, you, as you could imagine, uh, a lot of uh, John's constituents are going to be affected by this by these tax credit uh, rule from Labor if they come in. So he is going to share with us his thoughts. Before that, a quick break, and we'll then get John Maroney on the phone. 
Welcome back to the Finance Hour. John, do I have you on the line? Yes, I'm here, Ruben. Terrific. Sorry, I thought I'd lost you there. We had a little bit of some technical difficulties, so that break was a bit longer than what I had thought it would be. But uh, we have John Moroni on the line here. John is the CEO of the Self-Managed Super Fund Association. Uh, the independent professional body uh, represents the self-managed super fund sector. And I just put a bit of a disclaimer on that I, in fact, am a member, a practicing member of the SMSF Association. So, John, the topic of this week's show is who moved my cheese? Uh, we talked about, I talked last week about the, uh, the Franken Credits uh, proposal by the Labor government uh, and had a lot of inquiries, as you'd expect, over the last week or so. So the the question I've got to you is, is this a case of who moved my cheese? I think that's a good description for uh, <laughs> Reuben. I, I will just clarify one point. It's not the Labor government. They're still in opposition. And yes, that's And it may true. make You're it right. more difficult to become the government because uh, I think it will prove to be a very unpopular measure because there's one and a half million people that we've identified that would be adversely affected by their proposal of... of uh, uh, removing uh, excess franking credits. Yeah, so I, I sort of explained last week that uh, franking credits have been around for a long time. Paul Keating introduced them. Um, but for quite a long time, there was no such thing as getting a refund of franking credits until I think Peter Costello introduced that uh, back in, I think it was the early 2000s. Now, obviously, that, that was a big boon for superannuation funds. Um but was that policy at the time, was that, was that bad policy to actually introduce it in the first place? I don't believe so. It, I think it was good policy. It's, it's, it's a fair approach that um, if companies pay tax and it's a withholding tax, then it's designed to uh, reduce your tax if you're a, a taxpayer on less than 30% and to, you pay more tax if you're a, a higher taxpayer. And so we think it was good policy and it had bipartisan support at that stage. In fact, it was part of the ALP uh, platform they took into the 1998 election and mm -hmm. they supported the legislation when it went through in, in 2000. Right. Okay. Uh, and, and I guess did that when that occurred, has that really made a, a big bias for all superannuation funds to, to buy Australian shares, buy those shares with frank dividends when that uh, as a result of of the current uh, the current ability to get those franken credits back, is that is that distorted the way people invest a bit? I think it has encouraged people to to buy more Australian shares, and that was the original purpose of uh, the imputation system when Paul Keating brought it in. I, I spent uh, a few years working as government actuary under when Paul Keating was was treasurer. So I remember I remember the situation quite well. He he was very much wanting to support investment. Uh, by uh, investors and superannuation fund members in Australian companies because that helps the companies grow with the availability of capital. It helps them employ more Australians. So I think it's seen as a, a very positive measure to have that uh, uh, in incentive to invest mm -hmm. in Australian shares. But um, uh, you still do need to think about diversification, think about other issues. So I think it's a, it's been a successful move and, and one that we would be worried that uh, uh, it could adversely impact on the availability of capital for Australian uh, companies, mm. the evaluation of those companies and several other uh, adverse economic impacts if this policy is implemented. Right, so we, so there's obviously been a lot of talk about who's impacted by this. Uh, there's obviously the self-managed super funds, particularly those that are paying 
you're paying zero tax, they're significantly impacted. And there's also, I suppose, the bigger political difficulty for the government has been that there are a lot of people who hold some shares outside of super, just in their own name. They may be low-income earners or pensioners, and they they also are getting caught up in this, that they won't get their, their franking credits refund. Which, which of those two parties do you think we should be more concerned about the self-managed funds or the or the individuals with uh, with 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 small parcels of shares. I think both groups uh, we need to be concerned about because uh, it has been part of the tax framework now for eighteen years, and a lot of people have made their uh, long-term mm. investment plans around that that system. And I've spoken to a, a number of them directly in recent weeks where. Uh, they'd be getting a few thousand, several thousand, several hundred dollars back in, in refunds, and that mm. that helps them if they're retired and trying to uh, pay their bills, try and have a little bit more uh, uh, income. And uh, the figures we've put forward uh, show that the median income that a uh, member of a self-managed super fund is drawing is around the $50,000 level a year, mm. and the uh, franking credit gives them uh, about $5,000 of that. So this would be... Uh, effectively cutting 10% off the income of people that are generally mm. not getting the age pension at all. Yeah. And we think that's uh, a very harsh way of uh, changing the system after 18 years of encouraging them to mm. go down that direction to uh, rip that away in, in, uh, with very little notice in, in practice. I guess also the, you know, what compounds that is the fact that interest rates are so low. So people's alternative to frank dividends are not that great it's it's you know if it's term deposits which a lot of self-managed super funds have and we've done an episode on term deposits before you know australians have got a huge amount of term deposits but the returns from those are, are really very low about but you know somewhere between two and a half and three percent uh so you know their alternatives are limited yeah we fully agree with with that and that just exacerbates the adverse changes that the government, current government made last year of increasing the deeming rates under the mm. assets test. So the asset test now assumes you can earn 7.8% effectively. As you say, you know, people that are wanting secure investments can only earn 2 or 3%. So that uh, can lead to people, uh, self-funded retirees, receiving less in retirement income than uh, uh, full pensioners because uh, uh, the uh, the negative aspect of of uh, that if they're part pensioners, they're actually less than uh, a full pensioner because the, the means testing assumes they're earning a lot higher than what they're actually earning. Yeah, yeah. So it seems also that over the last few days there may have been a little bit of pack backpedalling, although not officially, that they may allow a certain cap, say, you know, up to 1000 or or $2,000 for individuals that they can get uh, their refunds back. But that would that would maybe alleviate the issue for the, for people who are hold shares outside of super a small amount of shares um would you think that if that comes through which personally i think is is likely because that's going to be much more politically easy because it's not going to disaffect as many people if that came through that kind of concession would that put make things uh, better from your perspective uh, th- there would be a number of ways of improving the policy to to remove some of the the negative impacts on low and middle income earners. Uh, what's been talked about so far, we we think is uh, only a small move in the in the right direction. We still think it's bad policy, and that overall they should rethink the the whole policy. And we would need to look at the, the whole range of policies they take forward to the 
the election in relation to personal taxes, any changes to age pension means testing, yeah. tax, so there's quite a number of policies, but there would be a number of ways you can improve it. Uh, we, we will still be concerned, as I said, the median retiree from a self-managed super fund uh, is probably uh, getting $5,000 of their 50000 income out of franking credit, so mm. anything that's uh, below 5000 would still be adversely affecting pretty much ordinary mums and dads that have saved uh, long and hard, made sacrifices, so they have a a, a good retirement and, and don't put as much uh, pressure on the, uh, the the public purse through the age pension because they have saved up themselves. Yeah. And what about also the other reports we're hearing, that these these rules will affect self-managed super funds but may not affect uh, other, other large funds like industry funds and potentially retail funds? Have you... Have you got looked into any more detail about that? Uh, we have, and that that is a concern of ours because we think it it is distorting the competitive marketplace. It would uh, mean it's optional to lose your your franking credits if you move into a fund that has enough young people paying tax, then mm. you can use the benefit of them paying tax to still get your franking credits. And we we don't think that's a good design for a competitive marketplace. We know the Productivity Commission is looking at the competitiveness of the superannuation system, so they may say something about that, but we think it, it would be detrimental to mm. good forces of choice and competition to effectively tilt the playing field that says if you stay in a self-managed super fund, you lose your franking credits. If you move into uh, a larger fund with some young members uh, with taxable income, you don't lose them. So it's actually it's actually pretty clear that you won't lose the franking credits if you're in one of those other funds. Is that... Is that clear-cut or not necessarily? That's the way the system works at the moment, and mm. that's because the fund is taxed as a, as a single entity. It's not uh, taxed at the individual member level, and and their proposal has just been to uh, uh, ban uh, refunds of excess credits, and the way the excess has worked out, it takes into account all the members of the fund, not just the individual. And so... Yeah. Uh, uh, if an individual in a self-managed super fund is going to lose $5,000 in credits, if they had exactly the same asset allocation in a fund which has young members uh, uh, paying uh, uh, contribution, hence generating taxable income, they wouldn't lose it. So some self-managed wow. funds may invite their children to uh, join yeah. the fund, so yeah. the children would bring taxable income. Yeah. That, that brings uh, a number of legal complications, as sure. you can imagine. And a man might mean that the uh, the kids then rest control of the super funds. <laughs> uh, <you laughs> I know there are the, strategies around that, but that's the that's, fund. The funds can allow individual member investment choice, and, yeah. and so that shouldn't be an issue in a in a well functioning family. But um, you never yes, know. There, there certainly would be extra complications if yeah. uh, if there were difference in views between because every yeah. member of a self managed super fund has to be a, a trustee or a trustee director. That's right. Well, there's a growing amount of case law of of those situations where one child has sort of grabbed control of the super fund one way or another uh, to the and and applied the funds to their benefit as opposed to you know the other the other children but we yeah. digress <laughs> John yeah, the whole uh, area of itself yeah now John okay well the question then is 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 what can we do I mean there's obviously the political process and you know, Labor, the current government is is clearly struggling uh, in the polls, and most people are predicting a Labor a Labor win at the next election. The question is, is what can we do, or what can listeners who feel disaffected by it, 
you know, what can they do to actually try and make an impact here? And also, what are you doing uh, as, the, as the SMSF Association uh, to try and get uh, a more equitable outcome? So I think the first thing people can uh, do is if, if they're affected by this, uh, they should inform their, their local member of parliament that they've heard about this proposal, uh, it's going to adversely affect them if it comes to pass, and say they uh, don't like it, the reasons being that it essentially is, a, is an unfair way of changing what, what is a withholding tax system. And we would encourage people to write to their, their members of parliament and to write to, to, to both uh, ALP and uh, government people on this. And yeah. I think the traditional letter writing is becoming a, a lost art. I think politically <laughs> it's still a very good way to get message to our elected uh, parliamentarians or what, what are wanting not... to, to be... You mean it's not so, as good as so just we, writing a Twitter, a Twitter post? Uh, well, I, I think it's probably more more effective than the Twitter post. But I would also encourage people to express their views uh, on Twitter and in other places. So um, that's one thing people can do. We we would also encourage them to uh, uh, join groups that are going to uh, to protect their their uh, retirement, and, and we're certainly one of those groups. We we uh, welcome any anyone with a self managed super fund or anyone interested in the self managed super fund, and that would include the children of people affected, because this is going to affect the whole family finances. Even if it's just the parents that are in the fund, the children are essentially uh, contingent beneficiaries. They're also potentially the ones that are going to have to financially support their parents if they run out of money sooner because um, uh, they've lost the ability to use the franking credits to be mm. self-sufficient for longer. Mm. So we think um, people can join groups. As I said, uh, uh, at the SMSF Association, we have a trustee knowledge centre and we'll be encouraging people to join us so we can and we do, uh, so we can better express their views on all issues. This is one issue. Uh, we certainly expressed views uh, last year when the government made changes, so we're a, a non-political organisation, so we will argue for good policy for retirees and, and for the Australian population overall. We've obviously got to focus on those that are in self-managed super funds, but we look at all that. Uh, our initial stage is trying to generate awareness, uh, particularly through the media, through media releases, talking mm. to... Uh, television, radio, journalists to get the message out there because we think there are one and a half million people who will be adversely affected. Most of those probably have children, so you're looking at several million people mm. potentially affected now or later. It's 200,000 super funds. The ALP says we're affected. We think it's 300,000 now, and, and the whole 600,000 will be affected once they get to the retirement phase. So we think this is a big issue for millions of Australians, either now or into the future, and we, we think it works against those. So we will... Uh, uh, discuss with our own groups, we'll discuss with other groups, we will uh, go to Canberra, we'll, I'll be down there next week, we will go and talk to uh, Labor Party people, we'll talk to government people and, and say, look, we don't think this is good policy and we think they need to rethink the policy and come up with uh, a better approach to achieve. Uh, we support budget repair, but we think there are better ways of doing it mm. than this without the detrimental effect on individuals, retirees, the Australian companies, um, and the, the economy overall. Well, it'll be interesting to see how successful you are because it looks like Bill Shorten has really put, you know, put a lot on this. He's, he's, he's staked it, and I wonder, I wonder how likely he is to, to peel it back. Yeah, that's a very good question, and we mm. think he's more likely to do it if more people say to him and to his colleagues they don't like this policy, they think it's bad policy, they think it's hurting people unfairly, a lot of middle and lower income 
earners and that they've saved up for their retirement to take pressure away from the public purse uh, and this is just undermining what uh, we've developed in the last 20 years of a, of a retirement system that is helping people have a better retirement with less pressure on the taxpayer to finance that by getting people to save for their own retirement and and this is really undermining those uh, long-term incentives for people to look after themselves. Excellent. Thanks very much, John. Now, just one thing. It's actually a, a technical question that's come in from one of my accountant clients or one of my accountant colleagues, and they asked me to ask you this. I don't know if you'll know the answer, but they've talked about all this new compliance stuff that's coming in for self-managed funds, and we've got that $1.6 million limit, and there's new reporting requirements uh, I, I, as far as I understand, when people commence pensions, that the self-managed super funds, they could used to be able to report that once a year, and now they've got to do it sort of once a quarter. Uh, and this accountant suggests to me that it's going to create enormous compliance burden, extra costs, and he just can't see the logic behind it. So he, so he specifically asked me to ask you about that. Yeah, so it is a change to the reporting system. The The reason... For the change is is to uh, uh, ensure that there is timely information when, if, particularly if people have uh, money in in multiple funds, so that there is information that can be aggregated together for the tax office to do its job, including informing individuals and their advisors when are people getting close to the the 1.6 million cap. Um, they did originally propose it to be on a monthly basis, so we. <laughs> We um, encourage them to to reduce the frequency and try to reduce the impact. We we think where it's worked out as as being it only affects people that have got uh, more than a, a million uh, dollars in their account mm. to have uh, quarterly reporting, and um, uh, it's it's much less onerous than it was going to be. It still mm. will add to the workload for for uh, a lot of accountants and their, their clients, and uh, we understand the concern about that. Uh, we're in dialogue with the tax office regularly about how to improve efficiencies, etc. So if uh, if he'd like to directly, I can certainly uh, pass on his concerns directly to the tax office and see if there is some way of further reducing the impact and the inefficiencies from the extra reporting. So where did you say he should direct his, his concerns to? Did you say? Uh, sorry, Ruben, I, the, the line just got a bit shaky. Oh, there. sorry. Uh, I if just you'd like to contact. Yes, go on. If he'd like to contact me, uh, uh, just just via our website, the SMSF Association. Uh, there's uh, contact details uh, uh, there. Hello. All right. Well, it looks like we might have lost John, but uh, we pretty much came to the end of the interview. So, uh, John, if you're still listening, uh, apologies, but thank you very much for your time today. Uh, now, we're just going to have a quick uh, musical interlude, and we'll then be back for Ruben's Rant and Propellerhead of the Week. Welcome back to the Finance Hour, whether you're listening live on Jair or on our podcast. Topic of this week's show was Who Moved My Cheese? Um, we had a great discussion just before with John Moroni. Uh, who's the CEO of the Self-Managed Superfund Association. Things are a little bit out of order this week, uh, so the next uh, segment is Ruben's Rant. 
Now, my rant this week is all about uh, investment or interest-only loans uh, for investments. I've talked about this before. I'm not a big bank basher myself. I think the banks have generally served the Australian public well, but there always are some exceptions. And one of the exceptions is the way they have priced interest rates on on interest-only loans. Now, what happened was is APRA, which is the supervisory body of the banks, were concerned about uh, the irresponsible lending, people borrowing too much, not paying their debt down at all uh, when they buy investment properties or, or even when they're buying their own home. Uh, and interest-only loans mean that people are just paying the interest and they're not paying the capital back. And they said to the banks, you've got to put a clamp on this and your growth of interest-only loans has to be much, much lower than what it is. So what the banks did uh, is said, okay, in order to discourage that, uh, and it possibly makes sense that they increase the interest rates on interest-only loans, uh, on new interest-only loans going forward. But not only did they increase the interest rates on new interest-only loans, they increased the interest rates on existing interest-only loans as well. So they went across the board in their whole loan book and they increased the rates. Now, I don't see how increasing a rate on an existing interest-only loan is actually helping stem future growth in it. I actually saw that as being uh, a bit of a pricing gouge by the banks, which they were able to do under the cover of the political climate, uh, which was curbing interest-only loans. But they didn't need to increase uh, the interest on existing interest-only loans, but they've done that, and that's had a really good effect on their profit in the short term. So that's my rant of the week. Uh, We'll have a quick break, and then it will be time for Propeller Head of the Week. Okay, now it is time for my propeller head of the week. Now, the propeller head of the week is a fairly simple one this week. Uh, as listeners might have heard, I've just been traveling to Israel with my family, came back a couple of weeks ago, and lo and behold, uh, a few days uh, after I've come back, I'm looking at my credit card statement, and there's a whole lot of transactions that have gone through there that was certainly not me or my wife. Uh, all my kids, though they don't actually have my credit card. Uh, and interestingly, it wasn't uh, things that were done overseas. Yeah, they were done, uh, people were, were, were booking hotels locally in Melbourne and restaurants and all the likes. And over the course of three days, they racked up about four or $5,000. Now, I was able to pick that up because I look at my internet banking app uh, or my phone app for my uh, for my bank accounts and credit cards fairly often, and I picked it up quite quickly. I put a stop on the card and cancelled it. But really, that's just a reminder that you should be looking at your statements, preferably be looking online at your transactions uh, fairly regularly so that you can pick any of these things up and then act quickly, cancel the credit cards, and I'm now going through the process of getting the banks to reverse those charges. I'm not sure... I'm hoping that process is going to be simple, but I'm very confident that I'm going to get a good outcome. But at least I did pick it up early and put a stop on it. All right, well, thanks very much for listening today to the Finance Hour. If you want to uh, listen to any other episodes, uh, please go to iTunes. Uh, They're all listed there. Subscribe, or you can go to my website, adaptworld.com.au slash podcast, all the uh, the podcasts are on there, uh, courtesy of my two sons, one of who which edits the podcast, the other one puts it on the website. So they're doing a bit of work uh, for their pocket money. And uh, just lastly, just a quick shout out to Zach Strochlicht, who I know is an avid listener of this show and has asked me for a shout out 
Uh, if, if there's anyone else who really wants a shout out, uh, you know, you can feel free to let me know and I'll give you one. Okay, thanks very much. And we'll be back next week uh, with Joel Gershman, uh, the business coach. Thank you very much.